Father, we are thankful for your goodness, for your presence, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, thanks um, for the life that you offer us. And uh, pray even just in these moments that you would speak to us as we look into your word, that you would... um, that you'd really uh, bring your word to life and that you would give us courage as well to, uh, to put it into practice, to apply it to our lives. Just come and have your way. Lead and direct, speak, minister as only you can, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are on week two of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Maxed Out, Creating a Life with Margin. And we're doing this because, man, we live in a maxed out kind of world, don't we? Okay, thank you for that. But here, let's, let's actually, let's take this a little further. Let's do a group confession as we get going today, okay? Because I think it's probably more true of our lives than we, we would even <laughs> admit or acknowledge. But let me just kind of ask a few questions. And at the end of this, if you think any of these are sometimes true of you, I want you to raise your hand, okay? So this is, this is the question. How many of us would say that we feel maxed out sometimes? Maybe when it comes to our schedule, maybe when it comes to our workplace or our finances or some other area of our lives. How many of us would say that we experience some stress perhaps because there are things like maybe we have more bills than money it seems at times or how many of us would say that we just get tired and weary from all the running around and from the pace and busyness of our lives if you have ever felt maxed out or stressed by any of these kinds of things or others like it would you raise your hand right now okay how many of you aren't raising your hands? You're lying, right? <laughs> right? I think it's, it's true, right? We just, we experience that kind of stress. We are a more, 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 more kind of society and culture. It's just the culture that we live in. It stretches us to the limit. We try to put more and more and more into our schedules. We want to give our kids more and more opportunities. And so we add practices and rehearsals and parties and lessons. We go, we go to work and they want to add more and more and more to our schedules. And we just, we just, our, our schedules and our lives just become so packed and our margins just get less and less and less and less. There's less space in our lives. Consider some of these stats. People now, t- today, you and I sleep two and a half fewer hours than people did a, a hundred years ago, right? So we're way more tired than our grandparents were. (laughs) The average work week is longer now significantly than it was in the 1960s. The average office worker has 36 hours of work piled up on his or her desk, and it takes them on average three hours a week to sort through and find what they need. That's three hours of your life you'll never get back every week, right? We spend an average of two years of our lives playing phone tag with people that are too busy to answer their phones, so they let it go to voicemail. We spend an average of five years of our lives waiting for people who are doing too much and are therefore late to meetings. We live in a maxed out kind of culture. I read an article this week, I think it was published maybe, I don't know, last summer or something like that, but from the New York Times about the business practices of Amazon. The subtitle uh, of the whole article says this, that Amazon is conducting an experiment in how far it can push white-collared workers to get them to achieve its ever-expanding ambitions. The article goes on to talk about when new employees come along, they take him into a room and they basically say, when you hit the wall from the unrelenting pace and culture here, and you will, you have only one option and that wall is, and that option is to climb over or get around that wall, otherwise find a different place to work. That's sort of the culture that they've established in, uh, in this place. They say, man, there's a line out the door of the next person that's waiting to take your spot if you don't want to work here. The article was littered with stories of people that work 80, 90, 100 hours a week at Amazon 
And uh, they said, you know, it's, it's fine as long as you can keep performing at that pace. They said the minute something comes along, and there was story after story after story of, uh, you know, they, a, a woman had a child and so needed to cut back a little bit so she could spend a little bit more time at home with her baby. And she said it wasn't long before she was squeezed out. People had stories in there of when their spouse got cancer or maybe an aging parent needed, and they needed to cut back to maybe more, more like 50 or 60 hours a week. They said it doesn't take long before you get squeezed out. That's the kind of, now, is that an extreme case? Absolutely. But I think more and more and more, we see that kind of pressure trickling into our workplace and not just into our workplaces, right, but into our lives, right? There's just more and more and more, I think, in our finances, right? We, we try to do more and more and more with sometimes less and less and less. And we think, how is this possible? We just live our lives in such a way that we are maxed out. In fact, I would argue that uh, many, if not most, or all of us are living really unbiblical, unhealthy, and oftentimes un- an unsustainable pace in virtually every major area of our lives. Most of us live with very little margin, very little room for error in our lives, very little space, sometimes even for the most important things in life. We're busy, we're stretched, we're achieving, we're doing, we're spending, but sometimes we're so maxed out we don't have space or room for the most important stuff. And so we're spending a few weeks talking about margin, about creating space in our lives, in our schedules, in our finances, space that I believe is where the best stuff in life happens, margin. Here's a couple definitions just to review. Paul talked about this last week a little bit, but I'll just kind of go through a couple quotes from a couple pastors and authors that I like. Talk about margin like this. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the extra or the reserves. Or uh, Craig Rochelle says, it's the difference between what you have and what you need. So for instance, if you have a bill that's $80 and you have $100 in reserve, how much margin do you have? You have $20 of margin, right? If you need 10 minutes to get somewhere and you have 20 minutes, you have 10 minutes of margin. Margin is the reserve, right? It's the extra between what you have and what you need. Margin is arriving five or 10 minutes early to church so that you're not rushed, uh, so that you have a chance to grab a cup of coffee, get your kids checked in, and maybe even prepare your heart to worship before it begins. Margin could be having the emotional capacity to handle unexpected conversations that might come up with your kids or with your spouse or whatever when something comes up rather than just exploding because we're so stressed out and we have no margin. We already feel so overwhelmed and that kind of stuff. It's having the emotional reserves to be able to handle those, those moments with grace and with truth and with love. That's margin, right? Margin is having money left at the end of the month, right? Spending less than you make. Some of us might think that's an oxymoron, but it's possible. We're going to talk more about that in uh, subsequent weeks, right? It's, it's, it's having space financially so that when the car breaks down, because it's gonna, right? Or when the dishwasher or the refrigerator breaks, we have space and reserves and capacity to be able to handle it without being stressed out of our minds. Margin gives us breathing room. Margin lowers our stress level. Margin, I would argue, is a biblical principle, and it's not only a principle, it's a command that's given to us so that we can live lives that God wants us to. So we're going to be talking about today. Sound good? Yay! So today I want us to zero in on one particular um, 
practice. We're, we're going to talk about um, having margin, especially in our calendars, in our time, in the rhythm in which we live our lives. And I'll talk about one specific practice that is all over the pages of God's book. And uh, it's a margin that is linked to longer life. It's a, it, it's a margin that's linked to lower stress levels. It's, uh, but it's also a command that's given to us from God. In fact, it shows up in God's top 10 list for, uh, for things that we need to obey so that life can go well for us so that we can live in this different rhythm. Anybody have a guess? It's the practice known as Sabbath, right? It's, uh, it's the practice known as Sabbath of taking one day a week to rest. It's a day of margin. It's meant to be uh, a part of the rhythm of our lives because as we talked about just a second ago, our, our tendency is just to keep adding to our schedules, isn't it? It's just to put in more and more and more and more and more. You ever notice that it's way easier for us to add than it is to subtract from our schedules? And I mean, uh, when you're a single person, you think your, your schedule is full and it is full, right? I mean, you, you kind of fill it up and then you get married and then you have two schedules, but usually you don't subtract a lot of things. You just add a lot more in, right? Okay, so now we're going to hang out with these people and do these things, which are friends of them. And I mean, we're going we, to, things grow in complexity. Then you have children, right? And not only do you have your schedule and your spouse's schedule, now you have your children's schedule. And does that mean, I mean, is that just kind of, you kind of lay back and don't, no, I mean, that just gets crazier and crazier. Easier, right? Then we start adding in softball games and baseball games and lessons and practice and I mean all these different school related things. It just gets crazier and crazier and we add and add and add and add until it's just full. Then we go to work like the Amazon article, right? We go to work and there's all these other pressures and they're like, no, you got to work longer hours. I'm going to need you to travel these times. You're going to need to go here and there and I, I, all this kind of stuff. We add these things to our schedule until we are just about ready to burst. And God says, you know what? There's an alternative way to live. In fact, it shows up in the very first chapter of the Bible and shows up throughout the pages all the way through. He says, you know, I've got, I've got a better and a different way for you to live. And it's a rhythm, it's a practice that's known as the Sabbath. He, God's saying, you don't have to live that way. In fact, he's created us to live our lives with, yes, go achieve and work and do that for six days, but then come back and learn to rest. Look at, look at some of these scriptures. These are, that aren't talking about Sabbath, but they are talking about that Sabbath rest sort of idea. The first one's from Jesus, uh, Matthew 11. Listen to this. This is, this is right from the lips of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's that word? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Psalm 127, uh, 2 puts it this way. It's useless to rise early and to go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know that God enjoys giving rest to those he loves? It's from the message. Or Psalm 23, probably the best known psalm there is. The Lord is my shepherd, sort of classic, uh, classic psalm uh, for funerals especially. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, lead me, he leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. Does this sound like your life right now? Does this sound like, uh, does this kind of rest, this kind of he leads me beside quiet, right, quiet waters and into green pastures makes me lie down so that I can rest? Would you say that characterizes your life right now? Or would you say that 
maybe like the rest of us, we're a little bit more on the busy side of things. These are all sort of the idea that's included in God's plan is he created us, yes, to work and to achieve and to create and to do the parenting thing and to all these kinds of things, right? Uh, but he also created us to, to, to have this pendulum swing back the other way and learn to rest and to walk in his peace and in his lightness. God has always desired to lead you and to lead me into green pastures, so to, so to speak, and beside quiet waters to restore our souls. Sounds pretty good, don't you think? That's why he gave us the fourth commandment, which is, does not have anything to do with killing anybody, right? The fourth commandment uh, has to deal with remembering the Sabbath day keep, by keeping it holy. It kind of struck me this week that uh, you know, this made God's top 10 list when he was talking to his people, to the, to, to the, to the people of God, and he's saying, man, here's some things. If, if, if you don't remember anything else, remember these about this is how life will work best for you, how you, you can live in right relationship with God and in right relationship with other people. And he includes big things, which are sort of no-brainers, like, hey, don't kill people, right? It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for anybody. He, but he goes on, he, don't lie. I I know it's I know it's tempting but don't do it this is going to be this is going to be uh, bad news don't steal right don't commit adultery um, don't follow after any false gods he kind of puts some of the big the big ones up there but he includes in that list and oh yeah by the way take a day set it aside for rest set it aside for a sabbath day Let's read it. It's from Exodus 20, uh, starting with verse 8. says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I think that about covers everybody. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He set it apart for his purposes passage is basically saying if you want life to go well, if you want to live out God's purposes for your life, if you want to reach your potential, if you want to live in his peace and his joy and his purposes for you, then God says make sure and take a Sabbath day, a day of rest. God created us for this rhythm of work and rest and then back work and rest. John Ortberg, pastor and author, says this. He says, God has ordained that there was to be a rhythm to existence, work and rest, activity and reflection, production and then gratitude. God said, you need to remember that you are eternal beings. You need to remember that your life is about more than all you can cram in between now and the grave. It's not just a frenzied race. You're destined for eternity. And as surely as you sit here in this moment right now, you will occupy every moment of eternity. Your being will never cease to exist. You're an eternal being. And so God said, one day a week, I want eternity to invade time. I want you to remember, God said. I want you to worship. I want you to play, right? I want you to be renewed physically and emotionally and spiritually. You need to rest, it's how God designed our lives to work and you and I cannot and will not be effective in the rest of our lives. We will not reach our potential spiritually or in any different realm without it because we are made to rest. I read uh, a book this week by Abraham uh, 
Heschel, I think is his name, but he's a, a Jewish guy that's written some great stuff on Sabbath. He wrote this. I thought this was fascinating and just a great word picture that goes with it. So he says, six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. But on the Sabbath day, we especially, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our souls. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. He goes on and tells this parable, this story about uh, Sabbath living that involves the game of t-ball, right? <laughs> he says this. He said, last year my son played t-ball. He said, this is sort of the bottom rung of, uh, of the baseball ladder. He said, there's no agents. There's no reserve clauses. He said, in, in our little league are, consisted of two different, uh, two different t-ball teams with 25 kids on each one of them. He said, at this, at this stage, parents are actually friendly to each other, which is not always the case as you go up, right? They cheer for everybody on both sides of the, both teams, uh, that kind of thing. He said, in t-ball, every person bats every inning, regardless of how many outs there are. In fact, an out is sort of a rare occurrence. All 25 players, each inning would literally step up uh, and, and take a swing at, at the ball that was on the tee. And he said, and on the other team, there would be 25 infielders. He said, nobody really plays outfielders. There's this wall of humanity that's around the infield. He said the, the ball hardly ever gets past them, right? Because it, it just can't squeeze through. But he's, he's telling this, he's painting this picture. And then he goes on to talk about one specific um, girl named Tracy. Uh, and he said there was a, a girl on the other team whose name was Tracy. On the, he said, Tracy came each week. I knew since my son's team played her actually every week in the because there was only two teams. She was not very good. She had Coke bottle glasses. She had hearing aids in both ears. And she ran uh, in a loping, carefree way with one leg sort of pulling after the other and with her arms sort of windmilling wildly in the air as she ran. <laughs> Everyone in the bleachers cheered for her regardless of what team their kid played on. He said, in all the games I saw, she never hit the ball, not once. He said, usually it would just sit there on the tee waiting for her to be hit, but it never was. Sometimes after 10 or 11 swings, she'd actually eventually hit the, hit the tee itself, and so the ball would sort of just fall off, He's, and she'd start running gleefully like towards first base. He said, but, but like I said, she wasn't very fast. She wasn't very talented. So usually one of the kids would wake up, grab the ball, and could run her down before she got to first base. He said, the last game of the season, though, Tracy came up through, and through some fluke, maybe, maybe just a simple nod towards the law of averages, she creamed the ball. He said she just smoked it right through the middle of like the 17 infielders that were all around it. He said kids dodged as it went by look, looking absentmindedly as it rolled unstopped, seeming to pick up speed. It hopped over second base and into the outfield, something that no ball had done the entire season. Once it reached there, there was nobody to stop it. He said, because have I told you, nobody plays outfield in T-ball. Tracy hit the ball and stood at home just delighted. Run, yelled her coach. Run, yelled some of the parents. And everybody in the stands started to start yelling, run, Tracy, run, like Forrest Gump or something, right? Tracy started, she turned around, she smiled at everybody. She started running gleefully towards first, first base. She galloped off to first the first base coach is waving his arms, running around, go to second, keep going, keep going. And so she does. She keeps running again, just galloping on. By the time she was halfway to second, seven members of the opposition had reached the ball, and now we're passing it back and forth to one another. Like, I don't know, what do we do with this? Right? The, ball, the, ball, the ball began to make its long and secured route towards home plate, passing from one side of the field to the other. And Tracy started heading for third. 
Adults yelled from the bleachers, go Tracy, go. Her coach stood at home plate calling her home as the ball went over the first baseman's head and down into the opposing team's dugout. Come on, Tracy, come on, baby, get a home run. Tracy started for home, and then it happened. During the pandemonium, no one had noticed this like 12-year-old mutt that had been sleeping just in front of the bleachers, five feet from the third baseline. As Tracy rounded third, the dog awakened by the screaming, sat up and started wagging its tail as Tracy headed down the third baseline. The dog's tongue was hanging out, the mouth pulled back in an almost unmistakable canine smile, and Tracy stopped right there. Halfway home, 30 feet from a legitimate home run, she looked at the dog. The crowd yelled, go home, Tracy, go home, Tracy. She looked at the adults, and then she looked at her own parents shrieking who were catching it all on videotape, right? (laughs) And she looked back at the dog, and the dog wagged its tail at her. She looked at her coach, and she looked at home plate, and then she looked back at the dog. Everything went into slow motion, and she went for the dog. (laughs) It was a moment of complete and stunned silence, and then perhaps not as loud, but deeper and longer, more heartfelt. We all just exploded in applause as Tracy fell to her knees and hugged this dog on the third baseline. He says two roads diverged on a third baseline, and Tracy went for the dog. (laughs) He ends by saying this, six days a week, the Bible says, six days a week, you go for home plate. Six days a week, you plot strategy, and we seek to be more productive. Six days a week, the world screams, run, and some of us run until we're exhausted. Six days a week, we try to build up the score, and you go for home plate again and again and again. Six days a week, you labor by the sweat of your brow to make a living on this earth, but on the seventh day, God says, stop. Stop running. Stop running and turn aside. Remember what matters most. On the seventh day, remember who you are. On the seventh day, remember for God's sake and for your sake, remember why it was that you were put on this earth in the first place. On the seventh day, we remember that the seed of eternity has been planted in our hearts and that you and I will not come to the end of our lives when we hit the grave, but we are eternal beings. On the seventh day, we remember the God who made us and the God who loves us like crazy. On the seventh day, we remember the purposes for which we were created to know God and to love God and to make him known. God says six days a week, you run and you labor and you work by the sweat of your brow, but the seventh day is mine. The seventh day is a day that is set apart. The seventh seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a day to rest and to breathe and to worship and to think and to be filled up again. If I had to guess out of the 10 commandments, I would say this is the one that's most likely for us to throw off as though it doesn't really apply to us. It's not, that's like an Old Testament thing, right? It doesn't matter. We don't need the Sabbath rest sort of concept. And to our own detriment, we ignore it and instead run the bases one more day. But there's another way, God says. Some have learned to stop and to live in this whole concept called Sabbath. And to turn aside and to rest and reflect and to get filled up, to turn their hearts and minds back to God. These men and women have learned to live in the yoke that Jesus described as easy and light. They've discovered the rest that God has created them for and have learned to let God take them beside still waters to restore their souls. It's the practice that's known as the Sabbath. And just 
these are, I'm just going to hit real quick, but I've got four different things that I think describe what the essence of Sabbath really is meant to be. And, it, and uh, nothing that I'm going to say is probably terribly profound or earth-shaking, but I, I think with these, as with everything we're going to talk about the series, the problem is not to know that rest is a good idea. The problem is not to know that we should take a Sabbath. The, the problem is that we don't live it out. And so the, this message is real simple today. I'm, I'm raising the value. I'm going to talk about what Sabbath is. And then the question at the end is what? Will you do it? Will you organize your lives? Will you say no to some things to create some margin in our life, some breathing room so that we can hear from God, so that we can rest, so that we can be filled up, so that we can be reconnected and we can be sent back out to live full lives with him? With me? Four things. We'll just go through them real quick. The first one, this is what we've been talking about, is Sabbath is made for rest, right? It's about, it's about resting. The first thing the Bible says about the Sabbath is it's just a, a time to rest. On the seventh day, it says God rested. He quit working. The, the word literally means to cease or to stop. And if you ignore this, you do it to your own peril. We read this before, but I'll just reference it since it's totally what we're talking about. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. It's a stop working kind of thing. You know, I read uh, this week that during the French Revolution, uh, they actually outlawed Sunday uh, as a day of rest. They decided they wanted their labor force to work seven days a week, right? We need more production. We need more, 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 more. And so they, they as a country, said, okay, no more Sundays off. You're going to work every day. You're going to do this. Within two to three years, they had to reinstitute it because the health of the nation fell through the floor. <laughs> People were getting ill. They were getting sick. All kinds of terrible things were happening to their bodies because they did not rest. It's a big deal. This is what God has been saying since the beginning, man. Six days work and then take a day to rest. Some of us stink at this. I'm serious. Some of us have no clue how to unplug, how to stop doing, 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 and just rest. But that is what the Sabbath is created for. We need it. We crave it. We are made to rest. I think sometimes the most spiritual thing, sometimes the most healthy thing that you and I can do, listen to this, is nothing. <laughs> right? So according to God, sometimes one day a week, sometimes the best thing we can do for our families, sometimes the best thing we can do for our own souls, sometimes the best thing we can do even for our workplaces is to do nothing, is to create some margin where we can rest. That's what the Sabbath is made for. Sunday afternoons in our house look like that. We take naps almost every Sunday afternoon. It's marvelous. And, and every week I say, man, this is what Sundays are for, man. This is what the Sabbath is for. We stop working and rest. Sometimes we pack so many things into our schedules, we just don't have space for it. I, I read earlier, right? Two and a half fewer hours of sleep a night than our grandparents did. You don't think that's going to have a toll on us? You don't think that's going to take a toll in our lives? We need to rest Sunday afternoons. We take naps. We might go for a walk, right? If it's 
Packer season, if it's football season, there will definitely be a Packer game involved in that, and then I'll nap through the Bears game, which is about all they're good for anyway. <laughs> but, but right, I mean, like, thank you. But uh, right, I mean, that's 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 sort of what we need. That we need some space just to be able to to let down. Maybe we turn off our stinking phones so we don't have to respond to the texts. Maybe we maybe we quit responding to emails for a few hours. Maybe we we don't plan things on Sunday afternoons or evenings so that we can rest. Can I just say, friends, some of us, all of us need this. Some of us need to take this seriously and build that into our lives. I wish I had time. There's all kinds of unbelievable data that supports this. I mean, when we rest about what it does to our bodies even is phenomenal. I better keep going. Uh, God created us uh, and gave us Sabbath as a gift so that we can rest. Second one is, uh, I think Sabbath is made for reflection as well. Let me just, this one is a little less intuitive, but let me just push into this. Uh, The next part of the Sabbath is for reflection. Sabbath comes originally from God's example in creation, right? Six days, God worked and created the world, the universe, light and darkness, animals, people, and everything else. God spoke and it happened. But there's this interesting sort of rhythm that happens throughout Genesis chapter one, where it's it says, you know, it starts out and it says, and God said, let there be light. God said whatever, right? He, he, he spoke. And then basically the next part is, and it was so. And then the last part is God looked at it. He evaluated it basically. And he said, this is good, right? This is as it should be. When he, when he got done creating everything, uh, Genesis one thirty one says this, God saw all that he had made and it was, what does that say? And it was very good. Can I just say, man, there's something super healthy about on our Sabbath as we pause, as we rest, as we step back to say, yes, I've been running the bases, right? I've been running this week or maybe I've been running this year or this month or whatever and we're going very fast and we've piled stuff into our schedules, but there's something healthy about stopping Stepping back and saying, yes, but am I running the right bases? Am I running in the right direction? Am I playing the right game? Am I living my life in such a way that I want, it's headed where I want, it's headed where God wants? Is my life aligned with the life that God has for me? Or am I just busy at the wrong things? There's a, there's a, there's a rhythm to this as we step back, as we rest, that we reflect a little bit and say, God, how am I doing? How, where, are, where am I in the midst of this? Am I, am I heading in the right direction? Am I doing the right things? Am I leading my family well? Am I loving my family well? Am I loving you well? Are you, is my life filled with vibrancy for you, Jesus? Right? Am I running my race in the right direction? You with me? Man, it's, I can't, I, I can't uh, encourage enough. We live in a life that goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and we never stop to just think and reflect and step back and say, is this how I want to be living my life? Is this how God calls me to be living my life? And, and maybe for some of us, this is the takeaway, right? Maybe we need to stop and create a little bit of margin so we can stop and think. I'm uh, actually heading on uh, a missions trip in a couple weeks, and I'll tell you more about that in upcoming weeks. But I I talked with the guy going to Costa Rica to kind of check it out and see if this might be a place that we as a church could do ongoing missions uh, projects and help start churches and lead people to Christ in Costa Rica. Super cool stuff. Anyway, um, 
But I was talking with the guy that's leading the trip this week, and his, he was just uh, talking about the importance of journaling. Journaling, I have a love-hate relationship with journaling. I don't know if any of you ever feel this way. Like, I always think, like, it's a really cool idea in theory, <laughs> but, like, I'm really bad at it, and I usually only do it when, like, I'm really in the crapper or things aren't going well or, or so occasionally when, like, occasionally when, like, I really felt like I had, like, God said something profound to me or something that I don't want to forget or an answer to prayer that I thought was really cool. But, but anyway, and he, his comment, it was this. He said, he said, oftentimes we see God's work in us more clearly in the rear view mirror. And he said, so we just encourage people to journal. And I think, man, that's, that's reflection, right? That's the, and I think that's so true. Sometimes we just need to stop and look back and say, God, what are you doing in me? What, how are you speaking? How are you leading? What, cha- what course corrections do I need to make? How, how am I doing? the power of reflection. It's a Sabbath. Third thing, and I'm calling it recreation or or maybe refreshment, but instead of recreation, I kind of hyphenated it a little bit because I don't want us to think just like water skiing on the river or something. I don't know. But (laughs) Exodus 23, 12, this is one place I thought was interesting this week. It says, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest. So that it kind of goes on this long list. It says, so even the foreigners living among you so that you may be refreshed. And I think, man, there's, there's something to that where we just need and it's not just talking about physical rest anymore it's broader than that there's this recreation this this tanking up of getting our hearts and our souls our emotions our relationships everything filled up and right in us there's this interesting link that happens uh, throughout the old testament especially but there's a link between the word sabbath and the word shalom shalom means peace, but it means more than that, actually. That the whole, the whole Hebrew idea of shalom is, is a picture of everything being right in our world, right? It's a picture of right relationships, of, of right relationship with God, right relationship with others, of everything being as it should be. It's not just talking about well-rested, but it's saying, boy, there's, there's Sabbath is linked to shalom, to this peace to this being filled up and full and right and whole. It's a picture of refreshment, of recreation, being recreated. Jesus modeled this kind of thing all the time, didn't he? Like people would have all kinds of demands for him and they'd be like, hey, wait a minute, the whole city wants to, wants to Jesus to come back and minister again. They're like, okay, where's Jesus again? Where, where, where is he? And he'd be off meeting with the Father. He'd be off praying. He'd be off in, in isolation sometimes. He'd be off uh, being recreated, being filled up and prepared for the next leg of the journey. There's this one time, uh, Mark 6, I thought was interesting this week, where Jesus uh, was taking his disciples away for this kind of recreation kind of thing. Listen to this. Mark 6, uh, verse 30 says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, are they talking about rest here? It says it, says it, right? But is it talking about more than rest? Yeah, they even talk about food. They talk about busyness. They talk about all this kind of stuff of like creating some margin. He's talking about way more than just physical rest. The ministry had been really demanding and they were drained. They were hungry. And so Jesus took the initiative to make sure that they could get away and be filled up emotionally, yes, physically, spiritually, and relationally. Author J.I. Packer, I read this week a a quote from him as he's talking about the Sabbath. He says this. He says, uh, 
We should choose the leisure activities that bring us closest to God, to people, to beauty, and to all that ennobles, right? Recreation kinds of things. We need to be filled up more than just physical rest. We need to make sure that we're gassed up, that we are full. That's what the Sabbath is for. But if I can push on this a little bit, it's more than just vacation kinds of things. It's more than just playing. It's more than just I want what I want all the time, right? If we play, but we don't pray, it's not Sabbath, right? You hear me? It involves rest, but it doesn't just involve rest and me getting all that I need. It's not just gimme, 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 gimme. That's not Sabbath, Right? There's some of that where we get filled up, where we rest, where we take care of ourselves, but there's also a spiritual component. There's also a God component where we worship and we reconnect and we uh, move back into alignment with him, and that takes us to the fourth one, which I'm calling uh, for, uh, for our purposes, remember or reconnect either one. This just, uh, again, it says over and over, it says, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Holy means to set it apart for God. Remember the Sabbath and set it apart for God. The word remember actually crops up quite a bit in connection to the Sabbath. Here's another one in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 says this. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do the work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It goes on and says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, he says to the Israelites, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Remember, he says, that you were once a slave in Egypt, but God rescued you. Remember what God has done, he says to the Israelites. Remember that you were trapped. Remember that you were stuck. Remember that you were without hope. And remember what happened? Remember, the Lord your God saved you. He brought you out of hopelessness and into hope. He gave you freedom. He gave you life. He gave you a promise. And remember my faithfulness to you, God, saying, remember my works. Remember my love for you. Friends, that is the key to the Sabbath, a real Sabbath experience, a real Sabbath day always involves and includes worship as well. It includes remembering and drawing near and thanking God for his goodness and his grace and his love. It's during that time when we turn aside and we stop doing the stuff that consumes the rest of our week, when we quiet our hearts and reflect on our lives. It's on, in our days, in those moments when our hearts get quiet that we can turn it and see and experience and know and remember God's goodness to us. It's in those moments where our perspective changes when we remember that God is a big God, that he is faithful, he's trustworthy. He's been trustworthy in the past and he will be trustworthy today and tomorrow and the day after that. He'll continue to be faithful. We regain our perspective and we enjoy being in the presence of the living God. This is one of the reasons why it's absolutely critical for us to be here, right? To, for us to worship, for us to gather together on Sundays because we need to be, we need to remember Sabbath is more than just me going and taking a day off or me going and doing whatever I want to do. It always involves this reconnecting with God, this realigning of our hearts to him, of us turning our eyes and our hearts towards him in worship. Remember his goodness, remember his word and respond to him in those kinds of ways. I shared this earlier, but Psalm 46, right? It says, be still and know that I am God. It's oftentimes when we stop that we can step back, we can be still, and we can experience and worship and know and see God. And so he's given us a day a week to do that, a Sabbath day. 
a day set apart to connect with him, a day set apart to remember him, to draw near to him. As I said before, friends, here's the deal, right? You and I are not created to just keep running the bases indefinitely. We can't do it. I mean, we can, right? People do it all the time, but it's not. I mean, our own souls implode as we do that. We're not created to just keep going and going. We're not created to live with more and more and more and more and no margin in our lives. We're not made for it. Instead, God says, I've got something better. It shows up in God's top 10 list. He said, here's the deal. In order for life to go well for you, in order for your soul to come alive, in order for you to actually have stuff to give the other six days of the week, in order for you to have reserves to love as I have loved you and to to carry out your purposes or my, my purposes and my plans for your life, God says, here's the deal. Remember the Sabbath. I've created you not just to work, but yes, work, but also to take a day where you can rest, a day where you can stop doing all the craziness. You can unplug a little bit and rest. I've created you to be able to sort of refocus and and, uh, reflect a little bit on on how you're doing, where you can stop and say, am I heading in the right direction? Right? I've, I've made you for that. He says, I made you uh, to have a day where you can sort of be recreated. Yes, get your rest physically, but also like get what you need to have wholeness and fullness in your life, to get tanked up relationally and emotionally in every, in every way. And then to remember and reconnect with the living God. When we miss those things, our lives are off base. Our souls gradually start to shrivel up and die. So God says, I've made you for something better, but the the choice is yours, right? And today, the the call to action, the the application is, is just simply that. Would you do it? Would you put these things into practice? I don't know how God might be speaking to you today, which may be one of these four, uh, or, or maybe multiple ones he's, he might be speaking to you about, but I would just encourage you, friends, let's, let's do it. Let's be people that live in that Sabbath rhythm, in that rest that he came to, that he came and he created us for. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, I think, just have to start out and be honest and confess that so often we are not a resting kind of people, God. We're pretty good at doing. We're not that great at being and even to think about resting and living in this kind of rhythm, it's, it's so easy for our minds to jump to, yes, but how am I ever going to get all this stuff done? Or what about this or that or the other thing? And Father, I pray that uh, you would teach us to trust you with our schedules as well. Lord, you've been faithful in so much of our lives. You have shown your love and your faithfulness to us again and again and again and nowhere more clearly than in sending Jesus to save us and to rescue us, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would teach us to live in the rhythm and in the life, in the flow of, uh, of what you have in store for us. Teach us to be people who rest well, who Sabbath well, who rest who reflect, who even recreate, and who remember and reconnect with you, Jesus. Teach us to say no to the things that we need to to create margin in our lives to be able to Sabbath well. We need you. We love you. We just offer ourselves, our hearts, our lives 
to you afresh this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.